Join us, friends. Great Scott, Spock guy. Do they know what we have in store for them? They will if they tighten up. And don't double dribble. To the Grey Ghost, Spock guy? Exactly, old chum. No time to waste. To the Grey Ghost. We have not a minute to spare. It's showtime, friends. All right, all right. It is the Spock guy, and it is... All right, all right, all right. It is Globe Trotting with Trey. <laughs> and we don't... <laughs> We are not wishing Cotton was a monkey, but we know that there's people that are. And that is a fact, friends. But is it you that is wishing Cotton is the monkey is the question, Spy Guy? Is That's it right. Not me. Is it? The it, could, it could be about seven or eight of them that I'm thinking of that is probably yeah. wishing Cotton was a monkey. But it's not you and I. That's right. There's definitely people that are wishing Cotton was a monkey. There's no doubt. And if you don't know what that means, go back to episode one. And if you're listening to us for the first time, we thank you for listening. We try to bring things that we feel like are interesting, just a wide variety of stuff. And in this particular episode, this is part two and a continuation of the last episode where we were talking about what it was like growing up in the 70s and 80s. That's and I was just kind of talking about that. Now, Trey, when were you born? 1987. Okay, so you were born in the 80s. But yeah. you have no recollection of the 80s. I don't. So I actually got married in 1987. And so if that gives wow. you any idea. And um, and still married to my beautiful wife, Lori. And uh, she has been awesome. And I'm very, very, very fortunate. Yeah. I like Lori. Lori's pretty. I have such a wonderful wife. She puts up with my crazy. And um, I don't. I've had conversations with her. So I don't know how she does it. Yeah. <laughs> She's a saint. That's that's the the reality of it. And she All don't right. even like Elvis. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she, in fact, uh, she didn't like pretty. She didn't really like much that I like, <laughs> and that may be why it worked so perfect for for me. So, yeah. hey, um, Billy, before we get into the seventies, I want to ask you some questions of this stuff, guys. If you yeah, do, enjoy, if you enjoy this episode, listening to this episode, watching it on YouTube, wherever you're at, like it for us. Come in and let us know what you like about our show, because that helps this year the show to be shared to other to others to learn about us so that's all i ask is if you do enjoy today's show please please do that thumbs up for us it's very and what he's saying is it's very important the way that the algorithms on youtube and the other streaming services that we use we don't just do youtube we do basically all the major streaming services yeah, you can listen to this so mm -hmm. if you're watching this on youtube for instance you don't have to watch it on YouTube. You can listen to it on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to it on uh, what's some of the other uh, streaming services? Um, you know, Bill, uh, uh, Anchor, which is Spotify. You can listen to it on Spotify. Spotify. So all the major places were there just for listening. You want to watch? You can watch it here, but there's nothing to look at. Yeah. When we're talking about things, we're not going to show you illustrations because. We do videos, but this is more about what you're hearing than what you're actually seeing. Yeah, and I've had a, quite a few people that say that said that they, you know, they're listening to us on their car ride to work or something, and that's why we do this. You know, when you're working out, you can listen to us, or on your on your ride back home from your work, listen to us. So you know, there's a lot of different avenues that they can uh, hear you and I. On this that's episode. Right. But I want to get into this one in the 70s. So I wanted to ask you, I had asked you about eating out in the 70s okay. in, in Kentucky Fried Chicken. But McDonald's, did you ever go to McDonald's back then? Yeah. You know, I can remember when I went to my grandma and granddaddy's house in Kinston, North Carolina, there was a McDonald's there. And I ended up working at that McDonald's as a teenager for a very okay. short time. I okay. worked at McDonald's for about a month. A month? Um, okay. Yeah, I was playing music during that time. So that would have been around, I'm going to say, that would have been around 1980-ish, 79 or 80. And I worked at the McDonald's, but I ended up playing music and making more money playing music. And McDonald's was taking all my time. So I ended up following on the music thing and playing. And I started out in my very first band playing drums. And uh, I've told you this story before, but I don't know if I've ever told it on camera. I didn't listen to rock music really. Although I've mentioned listening to um, uh, a friend gave me a, a eight track of Ted Nugent tight spots, that album. Um, but I didn't listen to your typical Led Zeppelin uh, fog hat, 
uh, Molly Hatchet, that kind of stuff. I really didn't listen to that stuff at that time. What about Kiss? Um, I mean, I was familiar with them, but I didn't really listen to that music either. And so what ended up happening was I got hired to be a, a drummer in a band, in a rock band. And, you know, this will kind of go back to, and I'm going to jump around a little bit, but since we brought this up, let's keep going in this vein. I'm going forward now. I was 15 years old when I started playing in this band. So we'll jump. I want to jump back to some earlier stuff, but let's, let's stay here. So I start, I joined this band and to tell you how poor the people were that I played in the band with, you know, we're going back to, to, you talked about, uh, ask about restaurants. People didn't eat out then like they do now. Now there's families that eat out every night. They don't think anything of it. You know, I went today and bought my lunch. It was $12. It, lunch used to be $5. It did. And, you know, when it was six and I thought I'm not paying $6 for lunch. Now I'm paying 12, you know? <laughs> And there was a time when Lori and I on Friday night, we like to go out every Friday night somewhere. There was times when we had to look at our money and go, we can't afford to go tonight. Yeah. That was, you know, when we first got married, we had to decide at the end of the week if we were going to be able to go on Friday night and eat somewhere. And um, so by that time, it was more prevalent by the late 80s. That stuff was more prevalent. But I remember being in, uh, well, let's stay in the band thing and then I'll go back. Remind me of Kentucky Fried Chicken and Kitty Hawk, okay? Okay. And um, so we were playing in the band, and these guys were asking me to play songs I'd never heard before. Well, none of them owned record players, tape players, cassettes, records. None of them had any way to let me hear these songs. So they would have to hum them to me and go, the drums go, and there's a feel here. So I was playing songs in a rock band I'd never heard before. <laughs> you know, they would just tell me kind of how it went. So I had to make up my what I thought it sounded like. And I played, I'm still friends with a lot of those guys that that played, and some of them gone on to play in some really big bands. Um, uh, but uh, those are fond memories, but those people scared me a lot too back then. Because as I mentioned, there was some drug use and some things going on. I was terrified I was going to get locked up, um, you know, <laughs> because they were going to get the house is going to get raided that we practiced at or something. I didn't do drugs at all, <laughs> but I was there with people that were and they were uh, I, I never saw intravenous stuff, but I saw them smoke marijuana, do a uh, hash. I'll never forget. I was in that house. And um, the people's, it was a brother and sister. They didn't play in the band. They would just come hang out. And they were in the kitchen. And this house was kind of like an overgrown version of Elvis's shotgun house, where his house was, you got a front door and a back door, and you go through. It was really one big room. Um, this house was a front door and a back door with a hallway, and then there was there was rooms off the hallway, four rooms. One of them was a kitchen. The other three were bat were bedrooms. And that's it. That's all was in the house. And seemed like, I guess there was a bathroom in there somewhere. In my mind, I don't remember going there, but it was basically three bedrooms and a kitchen with a hallway that went straight from one door to the back door. And it was an old um, wood house with just wood siding, no insulation. And we practiced in that house. And I remember being in the kitchen and at the kitchen table, they had flipped a, a saucer upside down and had a clear glass on the top of it. They put the hash in there and they would light it and then put the glass over it and let it smoke inside the, the glass. And then they would suck it out with a straw. And I saw this dude suck that, that smoke out of that thing with a, with the straw and just fall out. I thought, <laughs> oh my God, this guy's going to die and I'm going to be here and I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. But that's 70s. There was a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Another thing, we were standing at the Sportsman's Den in Kinston on, uh, on Queen Street. We were playing there that night. And uh, I remember standing out front. I'm not going to say the guy's name. This particular guy went on to be, uh, he plays a particular kind of music and has a particularly large following. He lives in Florida. And um, it's not a kind of music that I would want to be involved in, so I'm not going to mention it. Um, but this particular friend, old friend looked at me and he held his hand out like that and showed me, and it was a square 
it looked like a piece of uh, tinfoil. And I said, what's that? And he went, threw it on his tongue, let it dissolve. And I thought, what's that? He said, oh, that's blotter acid. I said, what? <laughs> he just done an acid hit standing right out there on Queen Street. And we're playing there that night. But those guys, man, they would all drink and do drugs. They were so high when they were playing. Oh, and I yeah. was there that was completely so. <laughs> you were taking a lot of water. What am I doing? Yeah, but, you know, I was a kid, and this is another little thing from that time period, is in order, in North Carolina, they have these uh, things. That, uh, have we talked about this recently. Seems like I've talked about this with someone. They have, uh, the state owns the places that sell uh, liquor. They, they call them ABC officers. AB, alcohol, Bureau, I, I don't, ABC. I, anyway. They every county has an ABC officer yeah. that's over the liquor stores and making sure that the bars are doing what they're supposed to and that kind of thing. And I would have to get a permission slip filled out from my dad that said that I was allowed to be there playing because I was 15 years old. So we would have to call the local ABC officer for that county and present him with the paperwork. And he would approve it. And then the way I could do it is I could go in, set my drums up, sound check. And then anytime I was not physically on the drums playing, I had to be outside. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, and that's, that's true. Yeah, that, really, that really happened. Nobody was like, but to you, you were like, Oh yes, sir. Yes, sir. But like yeah. no one was watching you as far as like, Oh, Billy's not outside. I mean, you could have. Yeah. I mean, we could have fibbed on it, but he told us the rules and I followed the rules because oh, that was the rules. You know, you I didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. And, um, so I, I ended up playing uh, music with them quite a bit. Like I say, almost every one of them are still playing actively in bands today. In fact, there's a band in out of uh, Eastern North Carolina that ended up being people that I played with in that band and people I played with in a college rock band after I got married are in the same band now. Wow. So it's people that from different towns that didn't even know each other that I played music with that are playing in bands together now. And uh, shout out to Ross Rhodes and Jay Thigpen. And, um, and, uh, um, and what's the name of their band? Good Powder and Lead, I think, and Diane. Uh, Diane's the bass player in that. And uh, I played college rock with uh, Jay Thigpen. I played in the first band that I was talking about with Ross Rhodes and then ended up playing in a later band with Diane and Ross uh, that I actually played guitar and sang and I played lead in that band. And, uh, so I played in a lot of bands and a lot of different things over the years with Jay. I played college rock. We did, uh, REM and U2 and stuff like that. And we played in, in Greenville, North Carolina at the attic. And the, we call it the two kilo bar, the two kilo bar. Cause it was, it was rumored that they sold cocaine there. And, uh, but it was called the tequila bar. We played there and the tequila bar was, was very, very small. This is something from the uh, from the mid '80s. When you walk through the front door, the stage was over your head. Wow! So you can imagine the place wasn't very wide, so the stage was that wide, and it was so you would have to go in there and turn to look see the band over your head. So you'd walk under them to go in. Damn. So it was a very little place. I remember being up there playing. I played bass in that band and That's sang. Cool. And uh, and my friend from that band, the other guy, uh, Hardy Weatherington is playing in um his band has something to do with sharks is um uh so if you're in that area look for swimming with sharks is the name of his band okay and i think it's him and another guy do acoustic stuff and they play all over eastern north carolina his name's hardy weatherington so a lot of the guys that i played with are still playing music i don't have time anymore Sadly, I do miss it. I was touring up until I started making these Elvis videos, and then the Elvis videos kind of took over. But uh, I was uh, playing and and uh, touring and opening for a Christian country band that's still out touring right now. In fact, they're getting ready to go out on the road again. And uh, so I've played a lot of music, and I wanted to show you this. So we're we're in the '80s now. Yeah. Something that I that I find interesting is this is a bass guitar that I bought. This receipt is July the 28th, 1984. Okay. Mike Stewart music in Goldsboro, North Carolina. 
and I paid $25 down on this base and put it on layaway. <laughs> okay. So that's how poor I was. I wasn't married yet. I wasn't married for, for two and a half more years after this. This is where I filled out the rental agreement where it, where I basically put it on layaway and I would come in and make payments. So on November the 10th, I came in and transferred for layaway $60 off a of print. And then I put, so I put $75, $60 and then 15 on the base. And it was a Rickenbacker base because by this time, I was not playing drums anymore. I was actually playing bass guitar in a Rush cover band. So anybody's ever heard of Rush before, Tom Sawyer, and most of you would know those songs, but they, I mean, they have 30 some odd albums. Yeah. But I was Getty in a Rush cover band. So in a Rush cover band, to be Getty, you have to have a Rickenbacker bass. That was a Rickenbacker bass. And here's the bass. I bought this bass in 1984. There it is. On Layaway. No way. That bass is right still there. pristine. Man, yeah. That this is, is the bass that I played in that band right there. Look at how perfect it is. That's, I like the color of it, too. Yeah, dark blue. That's my color. But this is a Rickenbacker 4001. It was about seven years old when I bought it. So I bought it in 1984. So that places it as, as about a 76 or 77-year model. And that bass right there, I played in a lot of venues over the years, but this was my my Getty Lee bass. That is cool, man. Not really good for anything but Rush, because it just has that real skinny sound. And I think but I bought this in 1984. 1984, man. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that, you know, how you said it when you were playing drums back then on the bands that you didn't know any of that music. And then you would just play what you felt. And then somebody yeah. would come up to you and be like, man, that was an interesting take that you did there on that song. <laughs> and I wouldn't know the difference. I knew, hey, didn't know what you were doing. You, know, you were just yeah, doing no Because <laughs> I remember saying, well, guys, can I? Um, Y'all have a way for me to listen to this? No. You don't have a tape player in your car? I was the only one who had a cassette player in my vehicle. Yeah. You know, by that, I, I turned 16, so I still played with those guys. And we went and recorded uh, in Goldsboro, North Carolina, at Walnut Creek, which is a very affluent um, neighborhood. And I think the guy was a dentist that had a recording studio in his house. And we went and recorded a couple of songs there. And I'll never forget uh, letting my dad listen to one of the recordings or let him listen to both of them because I wanted him to listen to it and be because my dad played music. That's where I got it from. He played in uh, guitar and played in some bands when I was little. And um, I remember him listening to the, the lyrics and in one of the songs, they talked about snorting snow. And he asked me what that was. I said, Dad, I don't know. <laughs> they were talking about snorting cocaine. But... <laughs> I said, <laughs> he never found out. Huh? <laughs> but it was in the song about snorting snow. That's a fact. And I would love to know where those recordings are. They got to be somewhere, but I I don't even have them that I know so in of. In the 80s when you were, this is like early 80s when you're in the band. This would have been, I started in that band, I'm going to say 1979. All right. So were y'all riding around in like a big, like a van? Uh, no, uh, they were poor, man. They barely had vehicles to drive. I was <laughs> okay. So I've got a story. So get the shows. Yeah, I can't. Never mind. I can't tell that story. I almost got shot one time. Tell um, it. <laughs> uh, okay. What'd you uh, do? Yeah, I'll, I'll. So we were going. All the guys would go. We were so excited to be able to play music, to go places, to have even a place to play, to have a gig. And so we were going out to a place called Horace's Lounge. And I think, man, that's, I mean, we're talking about, Trey, I'm 58 years old. So this was, for, this, this was over 40 years ago. So um, I, I remember, I, I was trying to think of the, the place. It was at a crossroads. I do remember that. 
Uh, but we were headed out to, to this crossroads and we had gotten behind. So this is a very 70s thing. So anybody from the 70s will remember this. Ford made a Thunderbird two-door with a vinyl, a half vinyl top. Almost every one of them were white with red tops. If there were variations to that, I'm sure that there were. But from my memory, they were all white cars and they had bright red. Like, so from the back of the door at the top would have been half vinyl. So the front of the roof would have been painted. The back would have been half vinyl in red. And we got behind one of those cars. I was driving at the time. I had an International Scout, a 67 model. And I had me and somebody sitting in the passenger seat. And in the back was a bunch of the guys from the band. And they were all long-haired hippies. You know, and I thought they were all really, really tough. So, um... I thought, you know, when you've got, when you're 16 years old, you're full of adrenaline. You talk a little smack. You tell people you're going to whoop somebody, you know, that kind of stuff. So anyway, we're driving along and there's this, this white Thunderbird with a red top right, driving slow in front of me. It was a two lane road out in the country and he's driving slow, driving slower than speed limit. Cause on that scout, it was a three speed manual. You couldn't go fast in it. You, you know, you're not running 80 in that thing. You know, you couldn't go that fast. Um, but this guy just stayed slow. And every time I try to pass him, he would speed up. So I couldn't pass him. So I just threw the high beams on. Well, after a little bit, he just pulled off. And I thought, okay, well, I'm done with that. So we keep on driving. So we get out um, maybe three or four or five miles down the road. And I look at my rear view and I see a car coming real fast coming, you know, you can see them coming up because you're always looking for the police if they're coming, you know, because they'll come up on you fast. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so this car comes up on me and then he does the same thing to me. He just high beams me. But now I'm not blocking him. Now he's intentionally coming. Okay. Yeah. So we stop at this little, um, at this little crossroads and I was trying to think of the name of the crossroads and it is not coming to me, but my friend from high school, Greg Freeman lives at that crossroad at a house on the left-hand side, probably even today. Um, back then, that would have been too far from where we went to high school, but as an adult, he lived there. Wherever this little crossroads is, there was an old store here on the right. So what I did was I just pulled off in the store parking lot, and I thought, well, I've got a truck full of mean hippies. And um, in, the, uh, in the back here, so I can take care of any situation. Yeah. As you can tell, there was only two people in the car. So um, I pull off there. He pulls around. So I'm in the in here, and it was a crossroads. Right. So he pulls around on the road and pulls in the parking lot over there. Right. So I jump out, and I'm, hey, you know, what are you doing, you idiot? You're running, you know, you got the high beams. And I'm talking smack. I'm going to whoop somebody. And, you know, you're kick, 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 kick. And I turn around, and I'm looking for where to, because I thought the guys had gotten out with me. I'm like, guys, what are y'all doing? They go, he's got a gun. <laughs> I said, what? He's got a gun. And I look, and you can see the gun sticking out of his waist. He's out of the car standing there. You can see the gun sticking out of his waistband. And I said, oh, have What's a nice this? night. <laughs> I'm so sorry to inconvenience you. <laughs> and I got in the truck. And luckily, he let me go. He didn't shoot me. But what he had done is stopped to get his gun and then check, caught back up with me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what he did. I said, oh. <laughs> see, when they when he when I got out and he got out, they saw the gun immediately. I didn't yeah. see. They say don't have. They say don't. They? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, Billy. But you he apologized really quickly, huh? Yeah. Well. <laughs> have a nice day. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That, that did happen in the eighties. Yeah. Well, another thing would be playing in the band in the eighties was we were playing at a place. I, I don't remember the name of this place, but it was by the drag strip in Kinston on highway 11. I think it's highway 11 and maybe two fifty. I can't remember. It's been so long, but there was a little cinder block building and we, uh, the bass player, Lonnie broke a bass string. Well, for a band today, no problem. They probably got another bass. They got, we didn't have any more bass strings. So that was the thing. And the same thing for me, my snare, I couldn't afford to go buy a snare drum head. I bought one 
and then play it. And then you have to just keep taping it up with duct tape because you can't buy it. I can't afford to buy another one. You know, so there was, it was just a different time. All of it was a different time. So I wanted to go back to uh, Kitty Hawk. I, re- I went to Kitty Hawk, I'm going to say, which is where the Wright brothers took their first flight. You remember we talked about that when we were in Dayton, Ohio. We saw where they were flying the airplane around in that field. This would have been prior to that where they would go up high on the sand dune and fly towards the ocean because there was enough wind there all the time. So that Kitty Hawk is where they did that, and there was a monument there. And I remember being in Kitty Hawk and them talking about us going to eat, and I can visually, as a child, so this would have probably been second grade. I'm going to say I was seven, six or seven. I can remember seeing from wherever we were at, seeing the Kentucky Fried Chicken out in the distance. And then we went there and ate, and of course I didn't want to eat there, but I got uh, mashed potatoes and gravy. And I mentioned in the last episode that my grandma and granddaddy would wash my face with the Kentucky Fried Chicken wipes. That 72 model station wagon, I'm going to say that this happened in 19, is either the summer, I'm going to say it's the summer of 73. Um, My dad and mom wanted to go to Arizona to, to visit her sister that lived in Mesa, my aunt Janet. And she had two daughters and a, um, and a husband, her, uh, it was Jeannie and Sandy were the two girls, and her husband's name was Daryl, I think. Um, anyway, we wanted to go out there. Well, we didn't have a car good enough to do that, but Grandma and Granddaddy were nice enough to loan my dad the station wagon for us to take this trip. And I can remember being in uh, Mesa, Arizona, and I can remember being in Tucson. And we went to old Tucson, which was like a Western town, and I think the movie or the TV show High Chaparral was filmed there. And I even think Bonanza, but I may be wrong on the Bonanza thing. Bonanza may be California, maybe Los Angeles. But they filmed things. It was like a Western town that was a movie set, but they would reenact gunfights like you saw in Vacation. You remember that, where they went there and they did that in a little... They would be. It was just like that. And um, I remember buying, as a souvenir, I don't know if I got it, but I remember my mom or my grandma and granddaddy having the cup that said, seemed like it said Bonanza on the front of it. It was a metal cup, like a coffee cup, but it was made I, out of metal. I like think I've stuff like that. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. And um, we also, that was the very first time I ever saw a, a restaurant called the Jack, called Jack in the Box, a hamburger restaurant. Okay. Uh, this first time I ever saw them. We did eat at the Jack in the Box in 1973. Whenever we were out there, I remember eating there one time. Do you remember a big clown that they had? Yeah, I sure do. Because I, yeah. I noticed that all the time on the Rockford Files. Yeah, it was Rockford inside Files, the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and you know they use a lot of Los Angeles riding around, so I get to see all the places back in the seventies. Yeah. And Jack in a Box had a big clown out front, like on the side. Yeah, yeah. Like, but I'm saying they had something inside. I remember something in a box. Um, seemed like they had things inside. I'm envisioning something inside of like a box with plexiglass inside the restaurant, like between, like if you're sitting at the table, it was separating and seemed like there was, I can remember seeing something inside of a plexiglass box inside the restaurant. If anybody can think of what that is, put it down in the comments. I I, I can't make out what it is, but it looks unusual in the restaurant. You see, I can place myself back there like I'm sitting, like I'm there. Right. Uh, we also went to see the, um, uh, they had these, uh, adobe things in the side of a like a cave a giant cave and there was these adobe buildings that were there that you could go look at we went there but something that really sticks out to me was vienna sausage you know what a vienna sausage is yeah okay so they come in a little tiny can right you know you peel the top and you can eat them out yeah so we had vienna sausage for some reason we always ate a lot we ate a lot of vienna sausage and crackers that's all y'all had. <laughs> and maybe that's all we had. But I remember eating them in the back of the station wagon. And it was a station wagon, by the way, that had a, a thing that you could close. You could flip it open and a seat would flip up that faced backwards. So if you were sitting in the seat riding, you were looking out the back window. Well, or you could close it and it would be things, you know, it would be storage. Yeah. And the glass went up into the top and the, the door went down. It wasn't a swing door. It went in the floor. 
So you it so you would push you you I remember you stick the key in it and you twist. There was a knob like a key with the like like a wing nut on the outside, and you would do that, and it would make the window go up. And then the other thing you would you would click it, and it would go down, and it was spring loaded. So you could grab it, pull it up, then you would take the thing and turn it, and make the glass come back down. Seventy two model Caprice Estate Classic. But anyway, I was eating those uh, Vienna sausage and got sick because they were hot in the car in Arizona, and I've never eaten any since. That was my last time. That's bad sausage. <laughs> I remember being at the back of the car and getting sick. Oh, man. Um, but that was – we really didn't travel much back then other than um, we went to the beach. I can remember that. So I have an interesting – what I think is a funny story about going to the beach and how poor we were. So my dad loved to go flounder gigging. So we would go to the beach to flounder gig. And um, so the way you flounder gig is, have you ever done it? You know what no. I'm talking about? Okay, I, flounder lay on the flat on the ground. Okay. And they their eyes are on one side of them. So it almost looks like you took a fish and did that. Hmm. And then the bottom is white and the two eyes are on the top. And they lay literally on top of the sand. And so the way you get them is, and they'll and they'll kind of dig in with the sand. So it's really hard to spot them because they look like the sand. So the way you do it is you will, uh, modern day, you would have a boat that would have a, uh, a platform that you could stand on, on the front of the boat. You would have lights that you would flip down into the water. You'd have a generator on the boat, a trolling motor. So you right. can go real slow and then it'll light up. So you can see it. In fact, my dad actually has a patent on a flounder gig that he invented that it sticks through the gig sticks through the fish and then it flips a finger out. So the fish can't come off. And then what you do is you push the fish up, you pull the finger in and then take the fish off. And it really doesn't hurt the fish other than you punched a hole in it. But if he got off or something, the, um, uh, the fish and game people really like them because if the fish happened to get away or something, it's not a life-threatening injury where if you, if you poked them with like a bow and arrow type point, it could be, you know, it could be devastating. But anyway, uh, so he actually invented that because he loves to flounder gig. So back in the day, this is how we were flounder gig. I just described to you what a gig, a gigger would do today, a flounder person. Yeah. Um, back then we would go and dad had rigged a headlight off of a car on the end of a, of a wand where it was waterproof. We would take a inner tube and we would put a metal bucket in between the inner tube and take the battery out of the car that we just drove there. <laughs> and you'd stick it in the bucket. Okay. And you had alligator clips that you would hook to the battery and use the headlight under the water to see the flounder. So I would go with him and hold the bucket and keep the bucket going as a kid. So imagine that's how poor we were, Trey. So then you just hope that there's enough battery to start the car when you get back. Your dad didn't even worry about that part of it. He was <laughs> going to do his thing, you know. Yeah, but that's how we flounder gig. We would take, you would float the battery of the car that you just drove. Yeah. And you would take a tire tube and, you know, those big metal buckets that are like that, like a, a big ice bucket. It's probably, how, how big is that thing? 18 inches around, probably 12 inches tall. Something and you like would that. stick that. It would fit down in the inner tube, but it would float. And you stick the battery in it. And then we would haul the battery around. And I would be the one that would push it as a kid. And, you know, the 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 uh, a lot of times the water is up to your neck, yeah. my neck. You know, for him, he was taller. But, you know, it wasn't real deep water, but that's how we would go flounder gigging. That's, that's crazy. I've never heard that before. Really. Yeah, that's like true. That. Mm -hmm. Man, another thing that happened around around that was, um, and I know you've got questions, so I'll I'll uh, tell you this, and I'll give you a chance to ask some questions. When I live with my I live with my grandma and granddaddy. In fact, when I bought that bass guitar right there, I live with my grandma and granddaddy. On here, it has their address. I just saw it. So I was living with them before I got married. After I graduated from high school, I moved in and lived with them until I got married, and um. They, my granddaddy, every night at 10 o'clock, he would go in his bedroom and my grandma and granddaddy had a trundle bed. 
So they had a real tall, they, they love antiques. And I've talked about that on these podcasts before. My granddaddy is the reason that I love antiques and love history. They were just, my grandma and granddaddy, they were all about it. Their whole house was nothing but antiques. Their bed was antique. And it was really tall. And a trundle bed is a bed under that bed. So you grab it and it's all rollers and you pull it out. Okay. And me and my brother would sleep on that bed. Now, wow. when I was older, when I lived with my grandma and granddaddy, I didn't stay on that bed. But when I was a younger kid, I did. When we go stay with them during the summer, we would go stay with them a couple weeks during the summer. And our biggest thing was, is we'd sleep on that trundle bed right by side on my granddaddy's side. And at 10 o'clock, he would read the newspaper from 10 till 11, and he would listen to the scanner, to the police scanner. So one night, um, he told me, I was grown at the time. I wasn't in there on the trundle bed. This was when I was grown. I actually lived on, my bed was on the back porch. They had a, a couch that would fold out into a bed on the back porch of the house. It was finished in, you know, glass, but that's where I lived. That was my bedroom. And um, so when I was on that back porch, my granddaddy came and said, look, the cops are getting ready to arrest your dad. I said, what? He said, yeah, I just heard it on the scanner. And what had happened was my dad was headed to the beach to, to flounder gig. But by this time he had a boat. He actually rigged a boat the way I'm talking about with the platform and the, the lights and everything. This was, you know, a little later. And, uh, but back then they wouldn't have used a, uh, even then they wouldn't have used a, uh, a generator. He would have had a car battery that would have stayed in the boat. You just charge it. And um, so he had gone into a, a gas station to get gas, $10 worth, by the way, to go all the way to the beach, which is uh, over an hour, about an hour and a half. And um, he went in and all he had was a hundred dollar bill and they wouldn't take it. Okay. So he said, says right on here, legal tender. If you refuse to take it, it's not my problem. It's real money. <laughs> he just left. So the, the, they called the police. The police go stop him. And so this is a perfect illustration of the 80s. Okay. That's different than it is today. Um, what do you think happened? Well, I, I imagine that he got handcuffed and taken into the tank. Okay. But I mean, do you think that's reasonable? No, he had the money. He yeah. offered it to them. They refused it. Right. I mean, I, I, but you know what? No, I think, I think he gave the cop the money to settle his differences. It settled the, the $10. All right. So what happened is this, this is absolutely true. The cop made change and took the $10 back to the store for him. So I was right on the second. <laughs> so the cop did do that. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yep. Wow. And dad headed right on to the beach. It will happen today, does it? <laughs> I mean, no, it doesn't. And to speak of that, you know, we were talking about, about um, that was a scanner. And what a scanner is, for those of you that don't know, and you can actually do it with your phone now. You can actually uh, download yeah. an app and yeah. listen. But my granddaddy, you would put crystals in it frequency crystals based off of the frequencies that the local police or fire department was using. Now you can do all that digitally, but he had it where every night from 10 to 11, the other thing that we would have is as a kid, my grandma would make us smash cheese sandwiches. She had one of these old, old uh, toasters that was flat. It was about that big. And you could put two sandwiches in it side by side. And the top was heavy. So she would take hoop cheese, like she would go to the store and have the cheese cut out of the hoop. She would put that on white bread and stick it in there and mash it down. And it would um, mash, the, I, I called them, I called them mash cheese sandwiches. They were about that thick. And she'd burn them. She'd cook them enough to, to brown them on both sides. And we would drink Pepsi Cola before going to sleep. Oh, wow. Okay, that was for 10 to 11. So when we went to grandma and granddaddy's house, we had cold Pepsi in the bottle out of the refrigerator because they kept Pepsis there. In my granddaddy's TV shop, he kept Coke. But we would have cold Pepsis in the bottle with smashed cheese sandwiches right before we went to bed every night. That was a big deal to go there. So I wanted to tell you about CBs. And um, 
So CB is a citizen band radio. That's what CB stands for. And back then, before we had cell phones, that was a way of communicating, especially if you were on the road. And truckers still used CBs. Channel 19 is the is the main channel that most people use. Um, and I actually have a CB that I keep with me on my Jeep. Sometimes when I'm traveling, I'll take it so I can listen to what the truckers are saying. And so mine looks like a little walkie-talkie. So we need to take it on a trip and listen to it sometime. Yeah, I've never done that. Um, but I have I have one to to take with us. So anyway, my dad at our house when we were kids, um, we would we had a base station that sat on top of the refrigerator. My dad put an eighty foot antenna up and a base station. So when he was out working, we would get on the CB and call dad, try to get him. So we could talk to him to ask him if he was bringing supper or did he need some. That's how we communicated with him was with the CB radio and a base station at our house. That's incredible. And, you know, <laughs> Scotty Moore did a song. He actually engineered the song by Red Sovine called Teddy Bear. And Teddy Bear is about a, a bunch of truckers and this kid in a wheelchair um, that would talk to the truckers when they would come through town. And it's a CB song. So in the 70s, CB songs were big. And actually, the artist's name's Red Sovine, but Scotty Moore, Elvis's first guitar player, was the engineer on that record. Wow. So, yeah. And uh, so that's CB stuff back then. Breaker, breaker, two, three, four. That's it. Breaker, breaker, one, nine. Yeah. Breaker, breaker. Yeah. My, my um, CB handle, by the way, was Tar Heel Will. Breaker, breaker. My granddaddy gave me that. He said that, I want you to have a CB handle and your name will be the Tar Heel Wheel. Wow. Breaker, breaker. This is Tar Heel Wheel. Yeah. Roads are clear. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's it. Go ahead. What do y'all call cops? Tell me again. What did you call police cops? Oh, Smokey. Smokey. Yeah. No Smokey's in the near sight. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. They're uh, wall to wall and treetop tall. They're 10 10 and on our way. Really, yeah. <laughs> wall wall and tree top drop. Yeah, can't say wall and we're on our way. Yeah, you need to go back and watch Smokey and the Bandit. You'll hear all that. I love Smokey. All that stuff you saw in the Smokey and the Bandit was real. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. You talk and all that stuff in the seventies. Who was who was the movie star that you kids looked up to? Um, in the seventies. Well, I can uh, okay. I have a very vivid memory of uh, Greece, John Travolta and, and Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, we saw we saw Greece. Okay, this is a, a seventy. This is very seventies. What I'm getting ready to tell you, and I need to do this real quick. Tighten up, thank you, thank you. So that much. that means we have three minutes left. We're actually a little bit over doing that. So we went to see Greece at the Plaza in Kinston theater. And I can remember that day. I remember going in there and being so fired up about what we just saw <laughs> that we went straight to the mall, which was on a different part of town and bought the record right then. We left the movie theater and went straight over there right then. And it was a, a you know, it was a fold out album set and it was all Bee Gees stuff. Remember? And uh, so the Bee Gees up oh, now, what am I saying? I'm telling you wrong. That's uh, Saturday Night Fever. That's a different thing. So this was uh, Olivia Newton-John and him, and they had uh, uh, The Hand Jive was one of the songs and Grease Lightning, and all those things were on that record. So we went and got the soundtrack, not not the next day, immediately. I bought one, and my sister Paige bought one. Yeah, wow. sure did, right? So let's talk about the record store back then. Back then, you could buy, an I think, 45s, were 89 cent. I believe they were 89 cent from my memory. Um, it seemed like at some point they went up to 99 cent and we thought that that was just the end of the world. And I can remember going to the record store in Vernon Park Mall, the same place that we're talking about that we bought the Grease record. Um, it was Vernon Park Mall and it was uh, maybe called the Sound Shop. The sound shop may be later. That, I think that was owned by a guy that I ended up actually knowing. Um, and his name is escaping me. His sister was my uh, 
Patsy McCann was a, a school teacher of mine that I believe was his sister, but I think their last name was McNutt or was it Gaskins? Was it Gaskins? Man, I, the names, I can see him, but I just can't call his name. But I think his last name was Gaskins. But I think he owned it. And I think it was called The Sound Shop. And, and that may be later. I, it, yeah. it all runs together. So, you know, my memories are not as vivid as some other Billy's memories of exact events. Okay. Yeah. Things kind of run together. But, you know, we bought a lot of records over the years. Um, but I can remember going in there and buying... Um, uh, had a wife and kid and kids in Baltimore, Jack. I went out for a ride and I never went back. Um, uh, the boss, uh, Bruce Springsteen, we bought that record. Hungry Heart was the name of that record. I remember buying that. I bought the Silvers, Boogie Fever. I bought uh, John Lennon, Just Like Starting Over. And the other side was Yoko Ono, where she's just screaming the whole time. Um, so I have very vivid memories of that. And the last thing that I want to talk about, because our time is, we're actually over again, was that was a time when we were really playing video games like crazy. And in that mall, they had a thing called the Barrel of Fun. It was at the very end of the mall until they added on to it. And it literally looked like a barrel that you walked through the door. It was a barrel sticking out. And then the back door was a barrel. And you go in and they had, my favorite game was Galaga, but we had Galaga and Pac-Man and all that. But that was not the very first video arcade that I went in. The very first one was on was on Queen Street. Uh, on the left-hand side, going up Queen Street, about a block before you get to the Paramount Theater. And I remember going in there and it was, it was quarter, and the way he did it was tokens. So you would go buy a thing full of tokens and then you put tokens in the machines. The barrel of fun was all quarters, but it was quarter play or 50 cent play, but most of them were quarter. And man, on Friday nights, that was a thing that you went there and you played at the barrel of fun, you would play, or you mentioned uh, earlier about going to, and this is gonna, anybody that listens to this that grew up in my town in Kinston is gonna really, this is going to bring back a lot of memories. You mentioned uh, in American Graffiti what they like to do. What did you say it was? They used to ride, they like to ride up and down Main, the drag. Okay. So we did that too, but we did it at Fairfield. Okay. So Fairfield was a park there in Kinston. It's still there. And we would go, the big deal was, is you would go there and just go around, just keep going around. And you wanted to have the coolest car. Uh, I was, I had, uh, my very first car was a 76 model Camaro with a 350 with a four speed stick. Yeah. And it kept getting stuck in second gear and I ended up blowing the motor up and the guy got mad at the guy we bought the car from and made him take it back. And I wanted a Corvette. My dad went and looked at it, it had a 454 stick in it. And he said, Nope, you're going to kill you. So we're not doing that. So he ended up buying me a Toyota. And I had a little Toyota Corolla. I think it was a 78 model from my memory. It might have been a 77. And so it was a few years old, but it was, you know, it was a nice car. But I treated it like a race car. It was a stick shift. And I couldn't afford, they had these things that you called, um, you called them stabilizer bars or stabilizer. And you would put them under the back end of the, of the, the rear end and what would happen is when you bear down on the car, it would bump the bottom of the body and it made the tires grip. And it was really for race cars. Well, I couldn't afford, but one. Yeah. So I would put one on the car and ride around like a moron. The other <laughs> thing that was a big deal back then was to have a rainbow sticker on your car. So in the middle, the middle to be cool in the middle of the back of the, the back glass, you would put that rainbow. You could get them from Burt's surf shop. So that just let everybody know that you were cool and you had been to Burt's Surf Shop, okay? <laughs> so that was another thing. Another thing that I had was every you wanted people to think that you were a surfer. So I bought surf racks yeah, and yeah, a yeah. surfboard. I would keep a surfboard on my car. Now, we lived an, over an hour from the beach. <laughs> you kept a surfboard on your car? I would you ride around with a surfboard. around with a surfboard on the, on the car. Trying to be cool because <laughs> other people did it too. 
Yes. Incredible. (laughs) And one last thing. This is early 80s. This would have been late 70s, early 80s. So So this would have been 79, 80, 81, 82. Because my uncle. what ended up happening? Do I? My uncle said the same thing, that they would would ride down, they'd park where McDonald's is, and ride all the way down Battle Street to the to the square, circle the square, come back all the way up, and just did it, did it all night long. They just went back and forth yeah. all night long. That's all you did. And look, you would have your girlfriend with you, and you would crank ACDC. Back then, I was listening to Black in, Back in Black, and you would crank it. And so in my Toyota, I didn't have a way of cutting the back deck out, so I had my 6 by 9s just sitting in the back deck. <laughs> just screaming, no bass of any kind, just shrill, just ACDC, you know. And my granddaddy, because he owned the TV and, the and radio shop, he would always get me. What? You had the girl beside you just blasting ACDC? Oh, man, I, was, I thought I was the stuff. With a surfboard on top and a rainbow sticker on the back. Yeah. Or you would just have the racks up there. You wouldn't necessarily the always hold the I surfboard, but you'd have the racks. All right. And my granddaddy, because of his connection with the radio and TV business, he would get me. I would have an AudioVox head unit. I'd have the uh, the power booster under the dash with the little uh, with the meter on it, and I'd have the six by nines in the back and speakers in the door. I had the latest stuff. You were up that car. You were making that car, you know, as cool as I could make it. Cool it was a Toyota. It wasn't, but then I had a friend, um, Montague Hardy. Montague had a Trans Am, a brand new one. I was so jealous of Montague. He's, I'm still friends with Montague on uh, on Facebook. In fact, him and my wife dated. Oh, and okay. I ended up winning her over. She used to yeah. ride around in that Trans Am. That's she sure what, did. That's a fact. That's my guy. You need to go ask him. Who's <laughs> the car with it? That's it. So let's talk about, we're over a little bit, but I think everybody's probably having a good time. So there's one more thing that's very... I'm going to say that this is late 80s. I'm going to say this may be early 90s. So let's step over into the 90s. I think this is 90s. So I just mentioned a lot of ways that I was trying to, as a teenager, fit in, which I think most teenagers, Elvis is an example, tried to do things that other people did to try to be cool to fit in, to kind of be part of the scene, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. So I was doing... Uh, the rainbow from Burt's Surf Shop. I was wearing the, trying to wear the surf clothes. A big deal was to have a Izod with the alligator. That was a big deal. You got, oh, you got the, oh yeah. I thought you had the alligator on. Yeah, I don't now. This is, uh, I think this is, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Norman, Norman, uh, the other golfer, the Norman. uh, Oh, Andy Norman. Yeah. And, um, so this is a, a golf shirt. So, Back then, if you could afford to have the alligator, Izod, that was a big deal. Oh. J.C. Penney's had the same shirts, but they had foxes on them. Okay? It looked just like it. So what that told kids was you couldn't afford the Izod. You couldn't afford the alligator. Yeah. So what I did was took I had one Izod shirt. I took the alligator off, and I would pin it to each shirt. <laughs> And I took the I took the foxes off of the JC Penny shirt and I figured out a way to pin it on. So I would move it from shirt to shirt to shirt to shirt. <laughs> you didn't want to be the guy that his parents couldn't afford the alligator. You didn't. Oh, Billy, man. And so you you figured out how to make it look like it was legit on the yes. shirt. Another thing was members only jackets. Oh, if you okay. owned a members-only jacket, that was a big deal. The first time I ever saw my wife, she was wearing a blue members-only jacket. I could see her just like I saw her in high school. I was in the 10th grade, and I can remember seeing her in the library. Uh, I was in English class, and I saw her, and I said, "That that's a, I want to know who that girl is right there. Right. And I went after her. That's right. And we've been married since 1987. And she was and, um, in that car of yours with the surf stuff on top of it. Yeah. Well, it wasn't her. And not at that time. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was a different girl. <laughs> but anyway, um, so anyway, I wanted to go to the 90s and bring out something. We're way over, but I, I just think this stuff is interesting. And it's fun to reminisce about it. And I've told you about this before. 
this one last thing. When you're trying to fit in, this is how bad people wanted to fit in. When the cell phone came out, and I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about the bag phone. Okay, it was a cell phone in a bag that you carried around that had an antenna that stuck out. And you plug yes. it in your cigarette lighter. And what, the way you would use an antenna is they would you have an antenna that stuck on the top of your back glass on your car. And then it had a thing that stuck on the inside and it had a cable that would run around and you'd run it under your seat. So when you got in with your bag phone, you would unhook the small antenna and you would hook that antenna to it so it would get better reception. Okay. You could buy fake antennas. So people would think that you had a cell phone. So on your car, it would be the antenna on the outside that stuck to it with the thing sticking up, but there was nothing hooked to it on the inside. Yeah, People yeah. would buy them and put them on their cars so you thought that they had an antenna. Spy guy had one, didn't he? No, I had a bag phone. Oh, okay. You know, I had a phone, yeah. yeah but there was one. a lot of people that did those kinds of things because, see, that's what I'm saying. Now is such a different time. Poor people have big screen TVs and SUVs. You're right. Back then, poor people were really, actually really poor. And they wanted to have the IZOD. They wanted to have the the uh, the the real, uh, and it makes me mad now because I can afford IZOD and they don't put the darn uh, alligator on it anymore. <laughs> you had all that trouble for that logo right there. Uh, they don't even put it on the shirt anymore. Yes. Uh, it doesn't even matter right. now. And they don't have it anymore. Come on, Izod, what are you doing? I walk in the Izod shop sometimes just to see if they brought some retro shirts back. And they're expensive, but it's I like want you, go, you go buy them. You, you, Billy's going to show up in his Izod these days yeah. with the logo. Yeah. No, he, you're going to yeah. have to go get it. You'll have they to don't have them anymore. anymore. No, you'll have to do your thing. You'll have to go yeah. buy them. I'll have to get me one. Go on, to eBay. Get an old one. Go on eBay, find an old shirt, and have to. Yeah. But uh, there was a time when I couldn't afford those right. kinds of things. By so, the grace of God, I can now. What was the greatest time to live? 70s, 80s, which one? You know, the 80s was a great decade, but the 70s was a great decade to me too. The 70s, though, I was very housebound. And what I mean is as a kid, you didn't get to get out much. So you were basically at home and you watched the Brady Bunch and, and that kind of stuff. In the 80s, I graduated from high school. I went in the military. I did all these different things. I started playing music and real bands that were really playing a lot. Yeah. So it was a very big growth time. And, you know, my first child was born in 1990, uh, my son, Trey. See, a lot of people think you're my son. I actually have a son named Trey. Um, now, Trey's slightly younger than you, but he was born in 90 and my daughter was born in 93. But the 80s was a time that, I graduated from high school. I became an adult. I went in the military. Um, I bought my first car. I bought my, that I bought, not my dad. I uh, got my first real job. I bought my first house. I bought my first, uh, I got married. So a lot of things happened. And my wife and I really, it was a bonding time. It really is kind of interesting to me. Um, we're watching this show that's called Married at First Sight. And they basically put two people together. And the very first time they see each other, they get married. And then they're married for two months. And then at the end of two months, they can make a decision about whether they want to stay married or not. Well, you know, we dated. My wife and I dated for five years. When we finally got married, um, I couldn't think about anything but her. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't understand this thing where people, when they say they want to be married and then they they trying to they're kind of trying to be islands and these islands are never going to get together you have to be a team me and my wife are a team we still are um and i can remember when we got when i say our first house our first house was a single wide trailer that we bought we bought it you know my payment was 228 dollars a month you could imagine my car payment at that time was one 182 so you're almost paying as much for the car as the house. The house, that's right. Wow. And but we got a trailer. It was a Fisher Mobile Home. It was 70, seemed like it was 72 feet long. And it was three bedroom. And that's where we live when my son was born. But it came furnished. So it had we suddenly we have our own place. 
Because prior to that, she lived with her family. I lived with my grandparents. This time, now we've got our own place. Okay. So we're sitting up there. Well, I mean, we're, we've got lit our own living room. We've got our own kitchen. We can cook. You didn't know what I had in the corner that I could put my TV on and my VCR. Yeah. You know, and I put a stereo in there and, and I bought Poke audio speakers and did surround sound and, and all that. So, so anyway, uh, one more quick thing and we're running way over, but I, I want to just tell one more thing. Somebody asked for an hour show, didn't he? Then somebody asked for yeah, an hour. Somebody show. asked for two hours. Um, so this one's going to run a little over, but man, I'm reminiscing and things are just coming to my mind. So Lori and I were not married yet. I'm going to say this was 1980. I'm going to say it was 85. It may have been 86, but I think it was 85. I bought my first VCR. VCR. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The idea of being able to play a movie at your house whenever you wanted to That's... was crazy talk. Yeah. Right. So the local Curtis Mathis dealer in Kinston had a deal where if you buy this VCR, you get your first um I don't want to get this number wrong, but I think it was 300 rentals were free. What? 300 rentals? Okay. I think, I think it was your first 300 rentals. And I may, that may I may be completely off, but I think it was 300. I remember you got a gold card. I bet you I still have it. I still have the VCR. Um, How much was that VCR? Man, I, bet that, I bet that VCR was like... I bet Keep that... Mind, I made $189 a week. I bet that VCR was like $600. That VCR, and it wasn't the best, was $1,800. I knew it was over $1,000. A it was a, now, I bought a forehead stereo, Yeah, but there was even ones that were nicer than mine. I didn't buy the top of the top, but I wanted a forehead, and I can remember renting movies um, or going and get, you know, you had the card so you could get the movies from there. And it was like they did a deal where like you could get one on the card, but you had to rent the next one. So it was a way of bringing you in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they did that for years and years. I mean, I rented a lot of movies from that place, but I can remember watching movies yeah. and just watching them over and over and over and over and over again. So that's I bet you were so excited to bring that thing home, man. And I couldn't believe it. I could not believe that I could just at will watch a movie. Y'all were and, uh, one more quick thing from that time was my granddaddy because he was an uh, uh, electronics guy, you know he repaired radio and television. He would he had they had all these devices that you could buy kind of black market to unscramble the scramble channels on cable. So we had these devices on our TVs at my granddaddy's house. It looked like uh, two combination locks. And what you would do was you would put it in line and you take the first one and turn it until it started getting clear. And then you turn the other one and lock it in and you could watch HBO and Showtime or whatever they were back then for free with these little devices. Wow. But they were so illegal. They were very illegal. You have but one. he would get them, you know, oh, <laughs> kind of through the grapevine. I love it. Oh, yeah. you definitely had to have it. <laughs> And one more thing uh, back then, we were talking about CB radios. Virginia, and I think they're still like that, met, uh, radar detectors are legal. So my mama's boyfriend, Fred, big Elvis fan, Fred, by the way, um, I've tried to find Fred and haven't successfully found him because I wanted to tell him what I'm doing with Elvis now, you know. Um, but Fred ran a radar detector. He had a Honda car. And he would run a radar detector on the dash. So what he decided to do in Virginia is turn the radar detector into a birthday present. So he wrapped it, put a bow on the top. But he wanted to talk about it on the CB. And he was my granddaddy was going up there. He, we were meeting him, my grandma and granddaddy, up there to visit family. So he kept bragging about it on the CB. Well, the, the cops were able to triangulate. So. Where he was at and got him. They got him. Oh no. <laughs> he got in trouble. Yeah. Oh no, man. It was a it was 
such a different time. But this has been a fun subject. You need to find friends. We'll have to talk about it again. I got so much more to tell. We're way over. Oh, man, that's cool, man. I learned a lot. $1,800 VCRs. I love it. My first VCR was a Curtis Mathis forehead stereo. I still have it. It still works, and I paid eighteen hundred dollars for it, nineteen eighty five. Hey, heck, no, no wonder they gave y'all three hundred free VCR rentals. You just gave them eighteen hundred bucks, man. Yeah, he probably paid a hundred dollars for it or something yeah. like that. I had to finance it too. You know, yeah. back then, man, it was. Yeah, I mean, I was making one hundred and eighty dollars a week, one hundred ninety dollars. <laughs> That's your whole year's salary. You just pay for a VCR. I got a raise to $225 a week and couldn't believe it. I thought, man, I'm rich now. You know, me and Lori are definitely going to be able to go out and eat on Friday night now. Yeah, that's when your life started rolling a little bit. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, I really enjoyed this, Trey. This was a lot of fun. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Make sure you hit the like button and uh, tell a friend. Tell them about this. We want to get enough people. That you know, it's we don't have a big following here yet, but we the people that are listening to this seem to enjoy it, and we appreciate y'all listening or watching. And we definitely appreciate y'all. But Spa Guy just about has a hundred thousand subscribers on his Spa Guy channel. I'm just about at twenty thousand on mine. I can't That's believe right. I can't believe that. I just went wow. I think within weeks we're both going to hit. So that's coming. Thank y'all so much for your support. And man, this stuff is fun to talk about. So we'll do it again real 70s soon. 70s and 80s. Wow, That's right. Live, huh? Tighten up every chance you get. And look, I got I got more hours of 70s and 80s. We we'll do this again for sure. And don't double dribble and be like Spa Guy. Go get one of those cars with a surfing rack on top of it. That's right. Uh-huh.